Welcome, Welcome to, to Crime Me a River, River, a true crime and obscurities podcast. podcast. Welcome back to today's show. Uh, sorry you missed us last week. I know we were just a hole in everybody's life for that whole week and <laughs> that we are sorry. <laughs> we missed you too. <laughs> yes, we did. We did, of course. And you'll probably notice that my partner in crime, Stacy J, is <laughs> battling some some remnants of a cold. Um, so you'll hear me sniff. So I apologize in advance. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> you know, humanly functions that nobody really cares about. <laughs> right. <laughs> <laughs> um, today's theme is M for murder, um, which I know is. Probably not everybody's topic, but uh, it's it's a big one. Um, and I am going to do mine later in the show on Phil Spector, um, since he just recently passed away. And not only is he a convicted murderer, but he um, there's a lot of backstory that I think is pretty important to know um about his his story and um not saying that we should give him a pass on what he did um by any means but there's there's a lot more to know than um than what meets the eye so that's kind of why I chose him his it should be a good story there's yeah. a lot to him yeah very very interesting character and honestly the music world wouldn't be what it is without him. And that's just, right. that just goes as part of the deal. So right. mine will be Phil Spector and Stacy. let's hear about yours. So mine is going to be the Gatton murders. Um, it's the brutal killing of the Murphy sibling, siblings, which takes siblings and <laughs> got to get those siblings in there. <laughs> <laughs> Okay, the siblings. <laughs> so this murder took place over a hundred years ago, um, and it happened on December twenty sixth, eighteen ninety eight, in the village of Gatton, which is southeast of Queensland, Australia. And Ooh. this murder has never been solved. Ooh, unsolved yes. are my favorite ones. Mine too. And there's so much speculation on this this whole story, so it's it's kind of crazy. So eight miles from Gatton on Blockfellows Creek is where the Murphy family lived, and the family had ten children. Wow. Um, uh, yeah, that's <laughs> too many kids in my opinion. <laughs> uh, anyways, yeah, I would prefer. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, so um, among the ten children were Michael, his younger sister Nora, and Teresa. Okay. Um, and Teresa is also known as Ellen. Um, okay. By Christmas of 1898, Michael was no longer living at home on the family farm, but would always come back for the holidays. So the day after Christmas, Michael, um, he's 29 at the time. He agrees to go with his sister, Nora, who's 27, and Ellen, who's only 18, to a party at the division board hall in Gatton. So Michael borrowed a horse from his brother-in-law, and then they were off. So around 9, 10 p.m., they arrived at the dance hall to find that the lights were out, and the man that had arranged the party was closing the doors. 
And so they were like, oh, okay. They didn't realize that the party had been canceled. So they turned the cart around and left. But they did not know that they would not be making it home ever again. <laughs> Listen to you all murder documentary stuff. I love murder time. <laughs> it's not story time without murder time. <laughs> so the next day, um, the Murphy family woke up getting ready to start their milking, their cow milkings in the mornings. And okay. they realized that the three had not returned home yet. So they decided to go looking for them. Um, the brother-in-law who lent the wagon and horse to um, Michael, he knew that the wagon had a wobbly wheel. So it left distinctive wheel marks on the road. So um, the brother-in-law spotted tracks after searching for a while along Trent Hill Road, which is about four miles from the farm. And then he noticed the where the road split, um, it went into a wooded area where the track marks are. So he followed the trail and came across the three siblings. Um, and he thought they were sleeping at first. But as he had gotten closer, he realized that it was way much worse than that. And they had been murdered. Oh, my gosh. Like, yeah. What do they think, like, cause of death was? Like, how were they actually murdered? So um, I'll tell you about that. So <laughs> <laughs> Michael and Ellen's body uh, were fa- found laying back to back a few feet apart. And Nora was found nearby on a bloody rug. Like, I don't even know where they got the rug. Maybe it was a rug. Back. Yeah. Just in yeah. the middle of the woods. It's so random. Like that's here's a rug. Yeah. <laughs> so um, Nora and Ellen's hands were both tied with handkerchiefs. Okay. And Michael's were tied at some point also. Um, but he was also holding a purse, which um, has been argued throughout some of the stories that I read that he wasn't holding the purse, but it was laying near him. And he had 15 shillings in the purse, which is missing at the time. Okay. And I wonder... And, um, another sad thing, I know it's not really talked about, but the horse they had borrowed had also been shot, which is, so the reporting of the murders, um, there was a guy, well, the brother-in-law, William, um, he rushed off to Gatton to get help. um, But he first visited a hotel where he notified guests of the horrible scene just down the road, which is weird. Like, why would you stop to tell people people about a murder at a hotel before you go to the police station. So around 9.15 that morning, um, William informed Sergeant, (laughs) everybody is William here. (laughs) 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 He informed Sergeant William Errol (laughs) about the murders of Michael, Nora, and Ellen. Um, So they went to the crime scene. And um, after Sergeant Errol surveyed the area for about half an hour, he decided that um, this case would be better better handled by the Brisbane police headquarters. He's like, I just don't want anything to do with this. <laughs> There's no mutter in my town, you see. <laughs> oh, no. So no one knows whether it was inexperience or he just didn't want to be bothered. Um, Sergeant Errol 
made no notes during the whole visit to the crime scene. He made no effort to interview any people that were at the crime scene. And he didn't make an attempt to secure the site and, you know, to protect any evidence that might have been there. So there's just people walking around looking at everything, you know, no telling. Yeah. The killer could have been. Exactly. Right. Killer could have been in there just watching. (laughs) Or going back to to fix some leftover mistakes. Right. And um, even though William visited the hotel, like nobody even cared during the investigation. Oh my gosh. And how long? Go ahead. Oh no, go ahead. Uh, like how long was it like from when they found the bodies to where he's just like, meh, I'm going to hand this over. Yeah. So it was like right away when he went to the scene. Oh, he did. Like, okay. Yeah. He's like, nope, I'm washing my hands of this. <laughs> like, oh my gosh. <laughs> so, and once word spreads, of course, like tons of people are going to come out to see what happened, you know? Right. Um, <laughs> so, and it was said that a lot of the ev- evidence that was at the site uh, was destroyed or contaminated by all the tons of people that came to see what had happened. Well, yeah. I wonder how many people there were total in that town. Um, I think it was something like um, 200. That's when it started booming, I believe. Yeah. yeah. So, I mean, who knows? And of course, everybody's like shaken up by it. So they're going to go you know, investigate for themselves and just muddle the whole thing. Exactly. And that's exactly what happened. Um, So um, there was a breakdown in the communications um, with the Brisbane police department and they didn't receive news of the murders after the Sergeant washed his hands of it until the next day. So like these poor people are laying out dead in the street and this cop is like, Nope. I'm not having anything to do with it, but I'm not going to tell them until tomorrow. <laughs> you know, oh like, my what? gosh. Yeah. Um, yeah. So he was pretty incompetent. <laughs> so the bodies yeah. were, oh, I'm sorry, go ahead. No. Yeah. I was just going to say, and like how sad it is that that's, you know, I mean, that still happens in today's right. Scenes. I mean, like, John Bonet was the same way and exactly. OJ, all of those cases were were muddled because right. you know. I mean Bumbling in, in some, force. <laughs> yeah, and in some cases it was deliberate, you know, like the OJ Simpson right. and and yeah. Nicole Brown. Like obviously that was deliberately, you know, messed up, which could have been you know, a slam dunk if, if they had the right evidence, but no. Exactly. And taking the correct action, but no. Yeah. Like, yeah. So <clears throat> their bodies were finally taken to be examined by um, Dr. Von Losberg. And like how long? He, how long? That next day. Oh, okay. The next day. I mean, that's yeah. still already beginning decom- decomposition, but. Right. Decomposition already. Like mm-hmm. who knows what else, you know? Yeah. Um, he said the murders had pretty much taken place sometime between 10 p.m. on December 26th and 4 a.m. on the 27th. Okay. I mean, that's a pretty tight window for being so far out. Right. So the the examination also revealed, also revealed the true brutality of what the killer or killers had done to the siblings. Um, Nora had been so savagely beaten around her head that her brain was actually protruding from her skull 
That is. And there were also signs that she had also been strangled. So oh they were probably God. strangling her and she was fighting. And so they bashed her head in. Um, Nora had been raped during the ordeal. Um, and also had been hit with the brass handle of a riding whip. Wow. Um, Ellen had also been bludgeoned to death. Yeah. Though um, the wounds weren't as brutal as her sister's but they still showed an extreme level of brutality. Um, Ellen, Ellen had also been raped just like her sister. Um, Michael um, was bludgeoned to death like his sisters, um, but later on they figured out that that was inaccurate. Um, but that was after the bodies were getting ready to be buried. So like they just kind of blew his case off which is unfortunate. Wow. Like, yeah, like how many things can you get wrong in a murder case? Right. So finally, um, a new uh, autopsy was done on Michael and it showed that he had been shot in the head and the bullet was still lodged in the skull and he was still beaten to death, um, disguising the bullet hole in the progress. So he, yeah, there was a lot of pretty bad shoddy work done in this whole I wonder, investigation. Yeah, it sounds terrible. I wonder if he was killed first. Um, I bet he was, like, so he couldn't fight to help his sisters. Yeah, that's exactly what I was going to say. It almost sounds like, um, you know, the the perpetrator was obviously a male. So exactly. He, you know, he was probably going for the women, but then... The brother and there was probably was more there. than one, you know. Yeah, yeah, there very well could have been more than one, um, and obviously we'll never know. But right, man. So the the police actually interviewed over a thousand people, and it's like, what? Where did these people even come from? Were you just like pulling random people in? Yeah, a thousand. Well, there was anything. probably like two hundred in the town. <laughs> right. <laughs> well, I guess not including the workers on the farm. Who knows how big oh, that was? Oh, okay. So. But yeah, so there was like stories of arguments with the workers within the Murphy family, um, and there was also rumors of incest in the family. Oh um, wow. Two women. None that of that lived. surprises me. Right. That's what they did back then. <laughs> <laughs> Especially yeah, so when there's 10 kids. Even you're my yes. kid. <laughs> Two women that lived um, near where the siblings were killed also heard, um, they both said that they heard gunshots and screams, but neither of them went to go see what was happening. They was just like, not my business, not my problem. Um, and there was also wow. rumors. Yeah, there was also rumors um, that there was probably police involvement in the case. That's why it was blown off so much. Um, and that it was probably a cover-up. So who knows? Sadly, that's a pretty common like thing that happens to, especially back then. Right. And um, then Dr. Voss Lossberg. Um, so the Royal Commission decided to look at the murders in uh, 1899. And then so the Dr. Lossberg um, during the inquest did, didn't take any responsibility for his own mistakes during the investigation and stated he hadn't told anyone um, about the completed postmortem um, report that he had done, even though the evidence was not like it didn't match up pretty much. 
Wow. And he said that, yeah, and he said that he had given the bodies just a quick examination and um, he was suffering from blood poisoning, so he wasn't feeling very well. Uh, okay. <laughs> yeah, like, like <laughs> just yeah, all of a nice sudden. Nice excuse for not doing your job, you know? <laughs> yeah, like, okay, what? <laughs> like, yeah. Where, where, how? I have so many questions. Like, okay, right. you're still out investigating crime scenes and, and you have right. blood poisoning? And doing autopsies and like, oh, uh, you know, my job was such shit. I have blood poisoning. So that's why I didn't do my job. But I was out oh, there. <laughs> I saw it. I saw those bodies. I totally examined them. <laughs> Just didn't feel good. Okay. Cut me some All right. And <laughs> and then they also questioned like if some of their family members were in on it too. So there's all this speculation, but no one really knows what happened. Interesting. I wonder, like, are there pictures of this anywhere? Like at the, any of the um, yeah, I do. Yeah, and you know, they had a bunch of people that they thought did it, but no one was ever even convicted. Um, I will post pictures of the three siblings on our um instagram page cool yeah so you can like, see these poor kids it's sad it, it is sad and i'm assuming they probably didn't take a whole lot of pictures on you know at a crime scene back then and right well and their pictures of the siblings from that time mm-hmm. they look like they were just kind of pictures taken but then someone drew to try to i don't know they look kind of cartoonish to me and i know so- I pulled like, it up and I'm looking right, right now at what you're talking about. Right? Doesn't it? I, yeah, I do see it. Um, like the the kids that are in like lighter clothing, they're so white <laughs> compared to the others. <laughs> yeah, they are. Like you have your normal like black and white photo, okay, and it's grainy and stuff, but then it's like almost too clear. It's really strange. Right, it is. I feel like, I don't know. Yeah, maybe they were the three siblings they didn't really care for. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> so um, that is my story of the Gatton murders. Um, yeah. It's sad that nothing ever came out of it. And all of the work was just so crappy. I mean, how could you solve a case when you leave the scene open wide and you have tons of people coming, looking, touching, you know? Like, yeah. I don't know. It just doesn't so make sense. There are a couple pictures of like the crime scene online. So if you guys yes. want to check this out, um, the one I'm looking I can at post right them now. On there. Yeah, yeah, go for it. Um, post as many pictures as you want um, or as you can get because like the one I'm looking at right now, there's like the broken down carriage and, and it looks like two guys that are investigating at the moment. Yeah. Um, you can kind of see the area, which. You know, it, there's a lot of trees and stuff, but um, I, I don't know. I'm trying to imagine like somebody, somebody hiding somewhere, or well, and the trees are so scarce. Like, yeah, you can't hide in between there. You're yeah. not, you know, yeah. those trees are skinny. <laughs> exactly. I was gonna say like, there's a lot of them, but they're not like the big bushy trees that you can like hide behind or anything like that. Right. And then the picture um, of the whole family together, it looks like the mom mm-hmm. is pregnant again. Like, 
<laughs> she just has that perma look all the time <laughs> after ten kids. She's like, I'm so disgusted with these kids. Well, so the one that I'm looking at, there's only eight kids. So maybe she was. <laughs> maybe that's yeah, exactly what's going on there. Right. <laughs> Twins in there. Wow. And it's like, I don't know how they would even try to solve that, you know, even to this day. Like, it's so long ago. And now it's just all speculation. Yeah, I mean, chances are, and this is kind of true for any of those old crimes, like, somebody out there knows something and exactly not saying that they're going to pass that down the family line, you know, where it's like some, but someone had to have say, yeah, there's, some, there's you know, someone was bragging. Yeah. Someone was bragging. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. They, <laughs> they always, do. yeah. Yeah. I can't imagine <laughs> exactly a, a crime scene, this horrific, like chances are they're not just going to go quietly and, and feel bad about what they did. This, you know, this is almost too much that it's like, okay. Right. They, especially the longer it goes without them being caught, the more their ego is going to inflate. And exactly. Yeah. Wow. I, I am curious, like, did the family have any, not necessarily enemies, but did they have any rivals or did they have any, like, was this just a coincidence? It just doesn't seem like it. Right. It's, I don't know, maybe it was some disgruntled employees or, you know, I, it's always someone, you know, you know what I mean? Like hardly ever is it really just randomness. Yeah. I mean, there are those cases where it's just somebody, but like they would have had to have known that they were going to be out when they were out. You know, you don't just wait in the woods, like, (laughs) and and how did they not, and how did they not know that, uh, the party was canceled? Like, come on, man. Yeah. I mean, yeah. I mean, unless that was on purpose. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, that's true. That's true. It could have been, um, it's a very bizarre situation and, um, like I, I'm curious. Are, did they mention anything about like reopening this case at all, or well, are they just? So I found nothing but a lot of speculation going on with what different people were saying. So, and it's all I don't know. None of it adds up. Yeah, I'm curious if it's something that they're gonna look into. I mean, and and it might be just one of those things where they're like what are we going to do? You know, we have nothing, nothing to go off of anymore. So that is my story. Um, it's, it's interesting. Yeah. yeah. I'll post a bunch of pictures cause there's a ton of them. Yeah. Um, yeah. And it's hard with these old cases too. When, when things get so messed up, it's hard to have like all the facts and all the, you know, like all the, like, evidence I guess so to speak you know and exactly especially when it was just not only is it an old case but it's a you know it's a case where it wasn't handled at all <laughs> like, right it just passed around and everybody's going to be looky-loos about the whole situation and right it's a it's an unsolved mystery for a reason which <clears throat> There is um, this one lady. Um, she's a crime historian. Uh-huh. Um, oh, what's her name? Uh, Stephanie Bennett. Okay. So she's been working on this for years, and she thinks this guy by the name of 
John Joseph Quinn um, was part of the triple murder. I'll really? post a picture of him too. Yeah. Yeah. Why does she think that? Um, she went back and like posted this whole timeline of events, what she thought. I don't know. I guess she, she was able to find a bunch of stuff about the whole case and um, she's been working on it for a while. Yeah. And what all does she think? So um, she said that this guy, um, Quinn, that she thinks did it, um, was in the area and had more than 300 known aliases. And he was a pretty rough, crazy guy. And she said that she could place him there at the time and trace all of his footsteps from some of the reports that she read. But it's still up in the air. No one knows still. Gotcha. Yeah. Um, and she said the reason that she can trace him is because he was shot between the legs um, at one point on stage. Um, and um, the police description of the scarring in that area um, kind of matched up to right. someone that's, that was changing all these different names, you know? <laughs> yeah. So that's, and, and she, it's also an identifying mark. So right. <laughs> like, if you're going to have a bunch of aliases, brother, maybe Mar- don't. <laughs> right. <laughs> well, and she thinks his brother Martin and their friend Thomas Day plotted the murders. Um, and so that she, the three of them were pretty much near the hotel. Yeah. I wonder what the motive is really. Right. I don't know. She said she didn't think the girls were part of the plan, though, just his brother, um, because I think they worked near the same on the same farm at one point when he moved from home. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So it's all twisted and mingled. <laughs> yeah, for sure. And I guess the Quinn guy swore when he was in prison to another inmate that he was going to murder Michael Murphy. Because he had imprisoned him in Long Long Reach. (laughs) Oh, man. In that town where he worked. What did he imprison him for? Oh, um, for holding union meetings inside of the barber shop, which was illegal at the time. Well, there's a lot of little information that kind of put together a motive. Right. Interesting. And then that had stopped other plans, I guess. The brother and friend had planned but who knows? We don't know. Hmm. Wow. So the Stephanie Bennett has written a book um, about the Gatton murders and she's like got pictures of like being at the spot and stuff. Yes. <laughs> yeah. She did her due diligence. Like yeah, this... she did. <laughs> she's like, we're going to clean this up because. Right. <laughs> Even though it was a hundred years ago, you know, over a hundred years ago, she's like, let's do this. <laughs> yeah. If you want to read her book, it looks like it's on Amazon. Um, Stephanie Bennett, The Gatton Murders, is on Amazon and Goodreads and some other places too. So, if, you know, if you're really interested in this, you can read her book. And it seems like she's put together a lot of good information. That yeah, she did. I'm gonna buy her book actually. Yeah, I want to see sure. what she has to say. Yeah, it's a baffling crime for sure, and. It is. And there's there's a lot to it, but right. you know, power to we these. We don't have time for it. <laughs> but, yeah. yeah. Power to these historian, you know, crime inspectors <laughs> that are right. like, 
we're going to figure this out. And, you know, I mean, not necessarily because, you know, justice can be brought to, you know, the people that committed the crime and also on behalf of the family who probably wants answers um, or the people in their lives that want answers, but right. just, just so the world has answers too. And it's kind of like, you know, we can, we can learn from this and move on. Um, right. But never forgetting really. So right. that's a very interesting case though. And I'm guessing somebody out there has information. Well, even if they're not some aware. kind of answers. Right. Right. Yeah. Your families. <laughs> yeah, chances are someone had information back then that they just didn't come forward with. Or they did. You. Yeah, they might have. Right, and he just didn't. He's like, nope, don't tell me anymore. <laughs> Closing my ears, la, 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 la. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> I don't want to know. <laughs> Don't make me none of my business. Get out of my office. Yeah. (laughs) We're just going to let this one slide. (laughs) It'll blow over. Yeah. (laughs) So I can't wait to hear about your story. Well, thank you. Anyway. (laughs) (laughs) So I am going to talk about Phil Spector today. Um, He just passed away on January 16th. uh, So basically days ago. Um, almost a week. Um, and I feel like he is um, worth mentioning because there's a lot of stuff in his past. Um, and I'm not saying it's an excuse to how he got to where he is, but um, it does um, it is worth shining a light on like some of the some of the issues that he went through um, in his life uh, to maybe kind of get us to where we are, to where he actually committed murder. Um, so he, w- he was um, December 26, 1939, um, and he had a pretty rough childhood. His dad actually ended up committing suicide. And although I don't exactly, I don't know if I know how, um, it's obviously something that, that he went through that was pretty rough. Um, and gunshot. Yeah, I, I, that's what I think, um, but I, I'm not totally sure. Um, and you know, it's not it's not immediately available. You kind of have to dig around to find that. But um, anyway, obviously, obviously, his dad suffered from you know a mental illness that probably wasn't treated, um, mm-hmm. and who knows what what Phil Spector's home life was when he was a kid, you know, if, if his dad was abusive or not, abusive or not. Um, I, you know, we just don't know, um, a lot of those details and, and I'm sure there are people out there who do know because they probably studied him pretty, right. pretty in depth. Um, <laughs> and while I haven't necessarily, um, I, you know, he's, he's still a, a person and, and it's always interesting to me, how how does a person get to the point where they can actually commit murder? Like that's that's something that's right. interesting to me. Well, I'm um, sure probably being traumatized by his dad doing what he did. 
Yeah, that's definitely a start. Yeah, exactly. That's definitely a start. And, you know, I'm not going to sit here and say that, you know, mental illness is just hereditary or anything like that. Um, It is sometimes, I guess, there are certain situations. And I definitely think that, you know, a, a parent can inflict certain things onto their kids um right just through experience you know like whatever he was going through so um so that definitely didn't start things off right so that's kind of where it all began and then he I think he was about 19 and he got involved with a band and they were the teddy bears back then and so they they wrote it or he he mostly wrote the song I guess but you know they performed a song that was called um to know him is to love him which they actually had put on his dad's tombstone and they had like a couple hits uh they also had I can't remember all the songs that they had off the top of my head they became big enough or at least he became big enough that he you know he went on to be like this legendary producer and songwriter and he was involved in so many like albums and songs specifically yeah and and helped so many people get their careers off the ground he did he did. He he did a lot of good work. Um, and he did a lot of work with the Beatles, which is one of my favorites. And so for that, you know, there's just no denying that that he was in, insanely talented in the music right. industry. Um, I think he's even in the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. In fact, he is in the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. Um, so it's pretty, pretty interesting, like the whole background. Uh, supposedly... Um, at some point, he had taken an interest in guns, I guess. Um, and so when a lot of like the bands that he worked with, uh, he actually kind of threatened and not necessarily in a serious way, but like sometimes he'd play around with his guns like while they were doing like recording sessions and stuff. Right. <laughs> so he'd like, <laughs> that's still kind of scary. <laughs> it is. It's weird. Like the Ramones are like, yeah. Like, I think they've come out and said, like, yeah, he waved his gun around with us a lot. Yeah. Um, <laughs> I love I love the Ramones, by the way. <laughs> I know. I know. And, um, like, I know he was doing a, a thing with John Lennon. Like, I don't know if they were actually recording or if they were just going over music. But John Lennon's girlfriend at the time, and I don't know what year this was, um, John Lennon's just in there, like, playing his guitar. Well, and then... Phil Spector brings out a gun and he's like waving it around, like around, like stuff. And this is all from like the girlfriend's account. But but he's like he accidentally fires the gun and <laughs> and John Lennon, his quote was, "If you're gonna shoot me, just shoot me. Don't mess with me ears. I need those." <laughs> he's just walking around wielding a gun, I waving know. at everybody. He's it's like, so- "Look what I can do." <laughs> No, it's so crazy. Like, obviously, he had a little bit of that whole, like, like powerful kind of machismo, maybe. I'm trying to think right. of, like, the right word. Of course. Him. Yeah, yeah. Right. There's a little bit of a power trip there. And he's just like, look at my guns. And I'm so right. music, so... I'm cool because I have a gun, man. Yeah, like, and I'm not going to, like, assume necessarily, but just imagine if he's, like tripping on something <laughs> he's exactly like on drugs and he's just like waving his gun around like it's naturally gonna go off <laughs> he's just dancing around with a loaded gun oh my god that would have been a sight like i can only imagine him just with 
his hair because he always had some crazy hairstyle. And... Yes, he did. <laughs> I love his hairstyle. <laughs> yeah, yeah. He was a character. Um, so, yeah, so he did all that. And, um, you know, so obviously, like, it was no surprise to anyone. Um, so obviously, it was no surprise to anyone <laughs> when he actually shoots somebody right um, down the road. But, um, yeah, and, you know, his... I believe his grandparents actually came from the Ukraine. Um, mm-hmm. And, you know, again, who knows what they went through and like right. what they put his dad through to get to that point. So his first wife, he married in 1963. He ended up, her name was uh, Annette Marar, and she uh, was a lead vocalist of the Spectres Three. <laughs> And it was a pop trio formed by him. Um, and then he ended up naming a record company after her called Annette Records. But while he's married to her, he began having an affair with Veronica Bennett, uh, who later became known as Ronnie Spector. Um, obviously, okay. they got married. And she had been the lead singer of the Ronettes. So mm-hmm. most people probably know her from that. And of course, he managed and produced the Ronettes. <laughs> So right. <laughs> he has his thumb over everybody, of course. Right. <laughs> so, um, so they ended up getting married in 1968, and then they adopted a son, Dante. Um, so they named him Dante Philip Spector. <laughs> so then, um, as a Christmas present to her, which this is so weird to me that it's a Christmas present, but okay, Specter surprised her by adopting twins. Um <laughs> Guess what, babe? I got you twins. For I got you twi- twins. <laughs> like, oh, do I have to open them or <laughs> do they have a ribbon? Right. <laughs> Are they in a box with holes to breathe? Yeah, please tell me you put holes in the box. <laughs> I thought I saw a box move earlier. Is that what I was seeing? Right. <laughs> Is that a snake? (laughs) (laughs) The twins are just down there hissing. (laughs) She opens the box and they have little bow ties. (laughs) Oh my gosh. So it, yeah, like it's a total power move to be like, oh, I adopted you kids. Right. (laughs) They're all yours. See ya. Look what you get to take care of for a while while I'm busy working. You're going to be busy for the next 21 years of your life. Yeah. Say goodbye to your career. Merry Christmas. Right. (laughs) Oh, man. Um, Yeah. And of course, like in 72, I believe it was, um, yeah, he uh, pretty much made her a prison prisoner or at some point leading up to 72, he had made her a prisoner in her home. So he he actually imprisoned her in their California mansion, which that's so he had, crazy. It is. And he had bought it and like put like all this like barbed wire and stuff around it. Um, so it's, he it's probably had like dead bolts on every single door that he could yeah. only unlock from the outside, you know. And the poor kids. Right. Yeah. I mean, like at this point, who knows how serious it is um, for them? You know, like what do they know about what's happening around them? I don't I don't even know how old they were when they were adopted. So like, he probably kept them locked up away from her as well, you know, and just had someone come in and take care of them. I, 
it would be the like exactly what you'd kind of expect of him with with his power trips you know like that's right. exactly what it sounds like probably yeah she had been imprisoned in in what's basically a fortress not a mansion at this point and um i know she ended up escaping she actually escaped in 72 with the help of her mom in their divorce in 1974 settlement she actually forfeited all future record earnings and surrendered custody of the kids um which is like really- Keep it all. I'm out. <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah. Take your kids that you got me for Christmas out of here. I just don't want to be a part of it. She's like, by the way, your Christmas present was lame. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Maybe don't get a woman a present that she has to like work really hard to take care of. <laughs> right. <laughs> oh man. It's, it's kind of silly. <laughs> It's kind but of it's sad just because weird. It's, kids. it's so right. weird. It's so weird, right? Like, that's the bizarre thing. Um, uh, like, can you imagine? He's like, "Honey, what do you want for Christmas?" And she's like, "My dream would be to have you adopt twins for me. That's my <laughs> lifelong goal." Yeah. <laughs> yeah. All right. <laughs> yeah. Exactly. Okay. Here's your twins. <laughs> Uh, it's interesting. And, it, you know, yeah. I don't know. I don't know the conversations leading up to that. If, you know, if maybe they did try to have kids naturally on their right. own, I guess, and it didn't work. So they're like, well, let's just adopt three kids. Right. But <laughs> two of them, the but twins still are going to be of. your cousin. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's, it's strange. I just can't even imagine being presented with a Christmas gift that's like, here's kids. <laughs> right. Like, that's just odd. Yeah. <laughs> He's like, pull this side of the wrapping paper. <laughs> yeah. I basically <laughs> bought you these human beings. I hope you appreciate it. <laughs> yeah. She did say, too, that she had forfeit all of that because he had threatened to hire a hitman to kill her. So <laughs> she basically had to give it all up to him, of course. Um, probably didn't want it anyways, you know? Yeah. Well, and and one of the twins and the older kid, Dante, they both later said that he had kept them captive as children, too, um, and then made them do things with his girlfriend, which is disgusting. Um, So then he had two more kids. (laughs) He later had in in 82, (laughs) 82, he had twins again this time with girlfriend he didn't give them as a gift <laughs> actually had them. just what he needs more kids i know <laughs> i know <laughs> and the sad thing was that, so one of the twins that he had that was actually his died of leukemia in 91 so that's very sad yeah yeah but then in in 74 um so backing up a little bit, he was actually in a really bad car accident and he actually was somehow like, I don't, I don't know exactly what happened, but I know he was thrown through the windshield of his car. I wonder if he was driving drunk. Uh, in A, it's Phil Spector, so probably, <laughs> but B, <laughs> um, it's the 70s, so probably... <laughs> That probably and not. along with other things. Yeah, I was just going to say, it's not limited to alcohol, probably. Right. <laughs> um, but, yeah, so I guess it almost killed him. And um, he was, you know, obviously laying on the ground when they found him. And at first they thought he was dead. And I guess one of the officers who arrived on the scene, he detected a very faint pulse. Um, and then he 
ended up obviously saying, no, he's still alive. And then they, they rushed him over to UCLA. All of that happened on March 31st, 1974. A lot of brain damage there. Yes. He suffered serious head injuries and required several hours of surgery with over 300 stitches to his face. Um, Wow. Yeah. And more than 400 on the back of his head. So head trauma, that serious, like there's just no no way that there aren't long-term effects from something like that. A concussion alone can already significantly increase the chances of violent behavior. Exactly. Um, So not to say that this is the reason he became violent, because he obviously already had tendencies. Um, Well, you just help push it over the edge, you know? Yeah, exactly. And it definitely, at the very least, exacerbated the whole thing. Um, and some people have suggested that, that this is pretty much what ended up happening, um, how it eventually got to murder because of the long-term effects from those head injuries. But they right. also say that it's probably why he wore wigs <laughs> to cover up like the scars and, and all right. of that, which, which also checks out. Like I could very well see that that's the reason that he started wearing his wigs. Right. Oh, they were great. Yeah. Uh, Yeah. And then, um, so he goes, you know, late 50s, 60s, 70s, 80s, into the 90s. He's just kind of this music legend and just a part of most songs. (laughs) Like, chances are you you know some of his work somehow or another. Exactly. Dabbled in everything. Yeah. Like, he was involved in so many famous things through that whole time. Um, and then, you know, he had written the song uh, River Deep Mountain High for Ike and Tina Turner. Mm-hmm. And I guess the song bombed. And that was part of why he became a recluse for like a little while there. Um, and part of why he basically locked up his family because <laughs> they were kind of <laughs> right. forced, to, forced to live with him in this reclusive environment. Yeah, he's like, if I'm not happy, no one is going to be happy. Exactly, exactly. And he just sort of crashed after that bombed. But, you know, I mean, he's, he's got a little bit of the narcissistic tendencies, So he doesn't let it keep him down for too long. (laughs) (laughs) Um, So then in 2003, on February, well, February 2nd, 2003, um, he decides to go out for drinks with an old classmate of his. And they're, you know, they're out drinking and she starts feeling like she doesn't like where his behavior is headed as he gets more and more drunk, as she said. So... Eventually, she calls it a night pretty early, and he meets up with another lady. <laughs> so <laughs> he's like, "I've got rock star status, so you know." <laughs> exactly, exactly. So they meet up, and then they first went to some other, um, some other like club or bar or something, you know, and and they were drinking there. Um, the limo driver that he had that night actually had made some comments later, and and I don't think, like, I don't know if this lady, you know, if she got too drunk, but anyway, the the limo driver's comments were like implying that he wasn't that drunk yet at that time. Uh, and maybe he didn't think he was drunk at all. I'm not totally sure. So then they head over to the uh, House of Blues there in Los Angeles. Lana Clarkson, who was a an actress at the time, she was kind of a B-rated actress. She just couldn't really break into stardom. And but she, you know, she had a lot of things. She had a lot of talent. She had 
the looks. She just, there was something that she couldn't do it. Um, she couldn't become that official star level. Um, so she had taken a job at the House of Blues in L.A. And um, so she was working the velvet ropes there. Mm-hmm. And so Lana Clarkson had fallen into some financial trouble, they say. Um, at least that was thrown in her direction a lot. Um, I don't know how true that is um, mm-hmm. or if they were just trying to do the victim blaming during the trials. Right. But mm-hmm. um, she... So she was working there at, at the House of Blues, working the velvet ropes. And so in comes Phil Spector. And um, <laughs> he's he's with this other thing. I'm, I'm just imagining imagining him with, you know, that picture with his huge I, afro. I know. <laughs> I wonder if it was that one or if it was like the one of the blonde wigs. Oh, like yeah. Wearing. Like, I'm it just looks curious. like the Beatles hair, the blonde one. <laughs> yeah, but a, a little bit Karen-ish. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, yeah, so he comes in with her and and they're trying to get in. And of course, Lana, I don't know, she was kind of kind of guarding the ropes a little bit like there was there was something going on in the beginning where she didn't let him in right away. And so they're they're kind of standing there waiting. And at some point. She calls him ma'am because she thought he was a woman. <laughs> Excuse um, me, miss, your coattails are flapping. <laughs> oh my gosh. And it's so funny. But um, so then one of her coworkers um took her aside and was like, oh no, that's that's Phil Spector, and he spends a lot of money here. Um, so of course they got him in and they get him over to like his little seating area, you know, his booth, his private section. And uh, the girl that he's with, the lady, I don't want to call her a girl, but the lady he's with, um, she she orders water. And probably, you know, as far as I know, they were already out drinking. So she she might be coming down trying to not right. have a hangover the next day. So she's trying to get her right. water. <laughs> and he gets really mad at her for ordering water. And of course, the the waitress slash server, which naturally brought them like a pitcher of water to the table. So he gets mad that she brings water to the table. And I don't know if it was much of a scene, but, you know, knowing that he already has a temper, I'm, I'm going to guess there was a little bit of a scene. Oh, Um, I'm sure. He's like, how dare you get sober while we're out partying? (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Why are you not ordering a drink? And he told her like when she ordered her water, he's like, no, you need to order a drink. And, she just wanted water, so I, I'm guessing there was a little bit of a scene. Um, oh, I'm sure. So, long, you know, that story, um, essentially, he doesn't plan on spending the rest of the night with that lady. Mm-hmm. So, um, at some point, he tried to get Lana Clarkson to come over and have a drink, and she was on the clock, so her, her work's like, no, that's not allowed. You're not allowed to drink with the the customers while you're on the clock. Uh, then around around two something in the morning, um, she clocks out and she goes up and starts starts drinking with them. And then, you know, I, I'm not sure exactly at what time they left House of Blues, but they get in the limo and the limo driver at this point says that he didn't really think Lana was that drunk, but he did think that Phil Spector was. They watched a movie in the back of the limo on the way back to his uh his place in Alhambra, which was known as the Pyrenees Castle in Alhambra there. Um, so, Come just, back to my castle, baby. Come back to my it's castle. It's Pyrenees. 
I, I live in California, but I have a castle. So <laughs> <cool>. <laughs> you don't even know the history here. Um, <laughs> so, so they get back to his place and the limo driver is still outside and, you know, some time passes and it's now around five in the morning. Um, and the driver claims to have heard a sound and Phil Spector comes out with a gun in his hand and says, I think I've killed someone. And the driver of course calls 911 and like on you know, the actual like transcript, if you listen to the call that the driver made to 911, mm-hmm. he's like, I, um, I think I think my boss just killed somebody. And they're basically like, uh, well, why do you think that? Um, and he's like, I think he shot somebody. And then they ask him if he heard the sound. And he's like, yeah, I heard a sound, uh, kind of a weird sound or something. And then he's like, and then he came out with a gun in his hand and said, I think I've killed someone. He just um, comes out waving the yeah. gun around again. Yeah, of course. Again, <laughs> waving the gun is the theme with this guy. <laughs> no doubt. Um, so I guess, you know, police show up and the crime scene, um, I guess, you know, police show up and the crime scene is like broken teeth all over. And, um, and I, you know, I didn't post pictures of her, um, yeah, I don't Instagram. think you want to. No, I don't. And <laughs> they are out there. You can actually see what she looked like. Um, and, you know, of course, Phil Spector at one point said that she was kissing the gun and that it went off. Um, <laughs> which, okay. We were and, having drinks and she kissed my gun, baby. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Real seductive. Um, <laughs> So then, you know, then he like at some point there tried to say like somebody else might have shot her. And then he tried to say that she committed suicide in front of him. Um, All of these like things. But, you know, the police arrested him on the spot because nothing was checking out. And if you look at like, you know, the like diagram, um, you see where the bullet enters in her mouth. And then it it looks like it comes out in the back of her jaw, but doesn't go through like her head. It comes out like on the side. Um, so not conducive with somebody committing suicide by any means. Yeah. So she, so unfortunately she died right then, um, or in that window. And then, um, through the trial, uh, so the first trial, um, this happened in 2003, in February, 2003. And then the trial didn't even begin until, um, 2007, uh, which, it started in... Oh, began March 19th, 2007. Okay, yeah. So trial begins March 19th, 2007, after February of 2003. So all that time, of course, he posted his million-dollar bail, and he mm-hmm. was basically free all that time out on bail. It's a long time to be free on a murder, you, you know, being yeah. looked at for murder. Because yeah, that's he has the money. All right. Yeah, yeah, I... I don't think that's okay at all. And I know, you know, I know the courts get backed up and everything, but good grief. Like what if he had killed somebody else in that time or exactly what if other things had happened? Um, So yeah, that trial began. And then basically in September of 2007, um, it ended up being a hung jury. So they had to do 
uh, they had to declare a mistrial and then do it again. <laughs> so anyway, so the retrial after that was declared a mistrial began on October 20th, 2008. So another year goes by and I know it's crazy. Um, and this time he was again being tried for murder in the second degree. So this time it took him um took him 19 days to deliberate and then they ended up coming back guilty or sorry 18 days to deliberate um but they ended up coming back with a guilty verdict on That's a long time to deliberate. Yeah. Yeah. Um, the, the case had gone to the jury on March 26, 2009. So the trial began October 20th, 2008, went to the jury March 26, 2009, and then another 18 days for them to deliberate. Like, I, I can't even, like, I just feel so bad for the jurors. On this yeah, case. I do too. There goes your whole life. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> um, so, so he was found guilty for that for murder in the second degree and they also found him guilty of using a firearm in the commission of a crime which added four more years to the sentence so he basically ended up with um, 19 years to life uh, in the california state prison Um, and so um, he would have been eligible for parole in 2024 but again, he did just pass away on January 16th this year. That would have been too soon anyways for him to get out. I'm sorry. Like, yeah, for sure. For sure. Um, and he passed away of COVID anyway. Uh, at least I think they said it was it was either COVID or COVID related. And didn't um, he have just, dementia on top of that while he was in prison? Oh, I don't know. Um, honestly, with all the head trauma like I, again, it I just can't sense. imagine. Yeah, I can't imagine that there weren't long-term brain effects from what right. he went through. Um, his lawyers, of course, after he was sentenced, um, came out and tried to tried to appeal, like I don't know, three or four times, <laughs> and they kept getting shot down. And they <laughs> even took it to the Supreme Court at one point, um, and it just kept kept getting shot down. So Good. that is Phil Spector. Um, Again, it's worth mentioning all the mental illness in the history Um, and and there's so many red flags. And, you know, during the trial for for Lana Clarkson, a lot of women that had been with him came forward and said that he had pulled guns on them um, if they they tried to leave or anything. Um, It's kind of crummy that, you know, all of that time, like you think about it and you know, for the most part, I would say that a lot of his, a lot of his like displays, we'll call them, um, started probably in the sixties and, and have been since, you know, so all those red flags and everybody just kind of like laughs it off to a degree. Um, and even if they didn't laugh about it, like no, nobody said anything, you know? And so it's kind of like, there could have probably been help there. And of course, you know, we're, we're barely in a time now where we understand head trauma and concussion and all of that. But when you look at some of the most violent people in history, there's always a tie to some sort of head trauma. Like some, most of them have endured some sort of head trauma in their life. Um, Or some kind of abuse. Yeah, 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 right. Uh, exactly. It's one or the other. And sometimes it's both. And, right. and in rare cases, sometimes it's none. Um, right. But, you know, even like Henry VIII, like, 
because of the jousting accident that he went right. in his younger years. A lot of historians now believe that he had actually suffered more serious head trauma and that only escalated his his violence and his um, outbursts and like the, the crazy things, you know, quote unquote crazy things that he did. Right. So um, I think, you know, I think we need to pay a lot more attention to head trauma um, in general, um, especially when right. you look at like the NFL and sports in oh, general. Yeah. Ton yeah. of football players that have had the head injuries and exactly suicide or something crazy happens. Yeah, like look at Aaron Hernandez again. You know, of course he was right. he was prone to some violence and and things before, right? But you know, like it sounds like he had some some head trauma maybe that went unreported in younger years, and of course that only develops worse. So. Right. That's kind of where I'm at with Phil Spector. Um, A, he died of COVID, so worth mentioning these days. B, right. <laughs> um, he did just pass away. And C, like I kind of wanted to use his story as shining a light on head trauma, <laughs> head trauma and mental illness, <laughs> and yes. you know, like um, concussions and things that might seem minor for a little bit, but until we really dive in and assess the long-term effects you know we're we're not going to be any better off because who knows how many violent individuals were were harboring because of ignoring things like a, a minor concussion you know right so i thought it was worth mentioning well good story well, thank you. That was a good one. If you have a story that you would like us to talk about, you can email us at podcast at gmail.com. Again, that's podcast at gmail.com. Or you can message us on Instagram at podcast is our tag. Uh, we appreciate you joining us today and coming back to us. Yes. See you next time. Bye-bye. Thanks for joining us on the promo. If you liked it, then like and subscribe and tell your friends and make sure to join us on the actual show. And we look forward to having discussions with you all. Thanks for listening to today's episode. If you liked today's episode, please like and subscribe and tell your friends. Once again, I'm Heather. And I'm Stacy. And, and you're, you're listening, listening to Crime Me a River, a true crime and obscurity podcast. podcast.